What a day, what a match, what a game. It's been fantastic. You're welcome back to the Final Whistle Women's National League podcast. But today, we can't really talk about the Women's National League for a little while at least. We will later on with Collie O'Neill, the newest appointment in the Women's National League. But first, uh, for me, Brefney Early and Aaron Clark, who joins us all the way from Glasgow. Aaron, um, talk to us about last night briefly. You, for, we were going to talk about more detail with, with Jeremy in a minute, but your first instincts at the final whistle last night you know the emotions were were run high obviously considering you look at you look at what's been done in the group so far some of the results we've had i think there was some magic night and then when you, when you see that happen it's sort of it's it's a bit surreal thought would it ever happen you know to get into the playoffs again your initial thoughts were australia new zealand down there in February. then all of a sudden the, the, the games they're playing throughout the day and you're thinking, okay, if we win in 120 minutes, we could be directly through to a World Cup. And when it was made for Amber Barrett to score, um, considering what's happened in the last week in Donegal, you know, we send our condolences to the families, but for Donegal to come on and score the winner to send Ireland to a World Cup, we couldn't have written it. It was a magic night. Absolutely. Well, in case anyone's been living under a rock for the last uh, 24 hours or so, uh, here's exactly what we're talking about. Here's our reporter, Jim McCarney's thoughts in Hamlet Park immediately after the final whistle. What a game of football we have just witnessed here at Hampden Park. Ireland are in the World Cup. They have qualified having beat the Scots 1-0 at Hampden Park this evening. The players are behind me as I speak celebrating. Shortly after the full-time whistle blew, they all ran onto the field, emotion overflowing. The game had everything. In the first half, we had a penalty in the opening quarter. Courtney Brosnan, Aaron Clark is behind me. Even Aaron, this game had everything. But that save from Courtney Brosnan really sparked the light for Ireland's hopes of getting through in this contest. And then later on in the half, Anya Gorman had a chance. Megan Campbell had the ball in the net from a throw-in. And then there was table tennis in the box in added time. And it was Sophie Brown and Gibson in the Scotland net that cleared it into the second half. Heather Payne went, Heather, Heather Payne went down injured. Amber Barrett came on as a second half substitute. Denise O'Sullivan played an inch-perfect pass on the, far touch, uh, on the far side of the field. Amber Barrett raced through and put in the back of the net. It's been a tough and difficult week for the people of Donegal, but Amber Barrett had an outstanding performance when she came off the bench. And she even kissed the armband this evening to remember all of those who lost their lives in Donegal over the last couple of days. But it is a remarkable achievement for Ireland. And I'm getting a lump in my throat now just thinking that they've actually made the World Cup, uh, having been so good in this qualification. It finishes at Hampden Park this evening. The Republic of Ireland won. Scotland nil. What, what a what a what a report! And I suppose we better hear from the man himself. I uh, would bring him into the conversation. Uh, the lad, both of you, I'm not jealous at all. I swear. But both of you were in the ground last night. Um, Jeremy, we might start with you. We've already heard Aaron's thoughts. Uh, your, your thoughts after that game. I suppose after that, watching that back, your actual thoughts at, at the time. <laughs> oh, unbelievable! Like it was just. Those final six minutes were probably one of the most stressful six minutes I've ever had watching a game in my life because it was relentless pressure from Scotland. It was going into the area. You were just 
just screaming for them to clear it, just get it out anywhere. And, and you know, they did it really well. And I remember when the penalty happened early, I turned to Aaron and I said, don't let that be the, the deciding factor in this game. A penalty in the opening in 15 odd, 14, 15 odd minutes. To, and we're, we're chasing our tail now for the rest of it. But no credit to them. They had so many chances. Um, and even seeing everything after the final whistle blew at Hamden last night, it was it was just a phenomenal achievement for them. Definitely something that they've that they that they've deserved. The qualification um campaign was outstanding by 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 them and uh it it felt a bit surreal. I don't even think the players realised. I know Amber had said that uh it was probably the longest twenty minutes of her life, but then she didn't realise that it was the goal that seen us since the World Cup. Before the game, we were on our phones um, keeping an eye on the Portugal game. And when that result had come through in our favour, it was like, right, get the job done. Yeah, it really, really and, was an opportunity and, uh, to Ireland. And they did. And we look, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be an opportunity to Ireland we're never going to see again in terms of, of opportunities to, to get the World Cup. When, when we saw uh, both sides falter in Iceland, uh, and in the other game as well, Switzerland uh, at, at times both behind in those games, so um, it gave that little bit of belief and that bit of hope. Um, I suppose, Aaron, you've been watching these players over the last number of years. You've seen them progress from maybe budding women's national league players into professionals in, in different places. Who impressed you last night? Who, who actually stood up and said, "Yeah, I am good enough to be at a World Cup"? The one player in particular, Denise O'Sullivan, was absolutely unbelievable. She's been brilliant in a lot of games this campaign. I thought last night again she, she delivered the pass she played for the goal was, was something else. Then you look at you look at it, okay. I thought Lily I considering she's only coming up for the last couple of games, it was very good as well. Katie Katie as well led from the front. But I thought as a team performance it was it was very good. Yes, there was a couple of times where a couple of sloppy errors were near, nearly caught caught in the half four. But I just thought it as overall it was it was a massive team performance and and as Stermitt said in his report, like Courtney Brosnan pulling out the penalty save, she went way too early. She took the guess, she took the gamble, and it paid off. And I thought she was brilliant under the high ball for the, for the rest of the game. Typical goalkeeper towards the end, though, knew exactly what she had to do to, to, to run the clock down. There was a stage where one of the Scottish staff threw a ball on, and Courtney was like, nah, I'm not going for that. She literally walked through behind the goal and got the other one. And I think the referee saw the left, said it's crap, didn't say anything because of the fact that it wasn't, a, it was a, it wasn't thrown on by the fourth official, but it was. It was just the experience of knowing how to close out the games, which is important. Five clean sheets on the bounce, stemming, stemming back to um, back the Philippines game in, in Turkey before they went to Georgia. Like, didn't concede many goals in this campaign. I think that's the biggest thing from an Irish point of view. Someone we had in the show recently, Louise Quinn, made a 99th cap for Ireland. People like that, if, if it hadn't been successful, would we have seen them again? Would she have got to 100? Now you've got the likes of ourselves. We could see Denise O'Sullivan reach the 100 cap in and around the World Cup period, but obviously the, the pre-match friendlies that will take place. And I thought it was it was it was just a great team performance. They worked they worked so hard for each other, and they were just relentless. And even in the build-up, there was no real the, the talk of the injuries was mentioned, and it was sort of brushed aside as if the players we have here, this is who we have, this is who is available. And I thought the way they handled himself last night was brilliant and to see the celebration and then to see the videos of them when they landed back at Dublin Airport as well, you know, it was it was amazing and it was it was just one of them things that I hate to say it from your point from your point of view, Brethany, but would have been absolutely devastated if I hadn't been here last night. Yeah, I do take some solace in the fact that 
I've been in touch with one or two of them overnight uh, that I would have crossed paths with over the years, and uh, they're all, I suppose, just delighted with, with getting through, and, and it's going to be a, a big, big eight months ahead. There's nine months ahead between now and, and, and the game is actually taking place. The draw, of course, later this month. But in terms of the actual atmosphere last night, many Irish added. I would have expected a fairly big crowd. There was a decent Irish crowd there, and I think there was pockets to our left and pockets to our right. Not all sitting together at fully at times. Interesting enough, though, the record crowd was actually last Thursday, Scotland, and so the attendance was lower tonight than it was against last year. I think maybe Celtic against Derby Leipzig had a bit of a, a knock-on effect on it, as much as they would have hoped it wouldn't, because obviously you'd see the Irish coming over. But when I, on my flight over, there was quite a few Irish, and then I was even talking to people who were saying Irish were coming from Edinburgh, I think. We were talking to someone coming out of the ground last night. They come from Newcastle. Just They got a flu, flew to Newcastle and then come up that way by a train. So fans made a, every, way they, every way they could. And at times you could even hear them screaming on the girls in green. And I think I think for the fans who didn't make it, it, was, it, wasn't, an easy, it wasn't a cheap trip. And he'll be, he'll be, there'll be a couple of tears shed last night for sure. Jim, in terms of the, the atmosphere in the ground, uh, what was the reaction when... Uh, early on in the game, ref gives a penalty against. But to be fair, we can we can wear our, our tribal Irish hats. Uh, but it did hit Fahey's hand. Ref was given the opportunity to give the penalty. She chose to. Uh, this, but before the save, what was the mood like? Was it a bit of foreboding, or, or was it one that? Oh no, we got this. Because to be honest, looking from the screen here in Ireland, um, the the Scottish player did not look confident at all stepping up to take that penalty. Yeah, I suppose in the opening couple of minutes, Ireland were definitely in control. They were the dominant team early on, but didn't have those clear-cut chances that we would have liked to maybe get an early goal and then sit on the lead for a while. Um, once, I suppose, from 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 our angle, we just saw that uh, the effort had came off the bar, and all the supporters around us had got up to their feet and were, you know. A very emotional thinking oh you know that we came so close there and we were like oh that's a major let off and then referee points to the spot and we're just thinking oh geez no, not again not again not another penalty that's not going to go our way and and um the scots were, were getting into it they were getting uh hostile toward it they were really trying to root their team on and you know caroline weir stepped up and you know as as uh as aaron just said there courtney guessed early and, and she went down and she saved well and from there, I suppose it was a bit of a topsy-turvy half in terms of you know, both teams had chances. We came close. Megan Campbell, as I said in the video report, had the ball in the metro, and we thought it had gotten a little bit of a touch on the way in off a Scottish defender, but unfortunately it didn't because it got into the net. Um, towards the end of the game, the Scottish fans did start to boo Ireland for a lot of time-wasting. As Aaron said, you know, Courtney Boston was going down, taking her time to take a kick out and, and everything like that. And... Uh, Irish players had gone down with injuries and they weren't really, really happy with it. So I, I, I thought at that stage, when the home crowd were getting really emotional into it, that it's like, okay, Ireland might have this. And um, the, at the angle that we had for Amber Barrett's goal, it just trickled in to the net and you're thinking, go in, just, just don't hit the post. It was just, it was almost like we were watching it in slow motion going into the back of the net. Um, and from there, it was just it was absolutely outstanding. But just on that reference, like I seen, I was looking around a little bit with about one about eighty fifth minute, eighty sixth minute, and you could see some Scottish fans were actually starting to leave as well. You know, probably a bit frustrated and disbelief. Like 
everybody talked, even in the pre-match press conference, they talked about, oh, the odds, Ireland were 9-2, to Scotland were, were money on favourites, and then Vera, Vera was having none of it, she didn't really take any heed of it, and I don't think we took heed of it either in terms of players and stuff like that, because it was it was just that they knew they had a job to do, and that was it, and I think the biggest the biggest credit you've got to give them is that, like, they, they soaked up the pressure laid on, they didn't, they didn't relent, even when like, the crowd on the back, the crowd are hostile, or, they're trying to intimidate and trying to get any decision they can and like I thought the referee, yeah, she lets him she lets some things go, but like she was doing it on both sides, so it's not as if she wasn't doing it on one on one or the other. And I thought that was the biggest thing from a from a, from an Irish point of view. She just kept the pause on they, they kept in it till the till the very last minute. Like we're now looking at the draw. We're gonna be we're gonna be in part three for the draw, so there's no doubt we could easily get two very difficult teams. I mean we could get Brazil and the USA or I think it was um Denmark and somebody, somebody else they were saying and it could it could either be a very hard draw, it could be a very easy draw, but like we've never been there before. That's the most that's the biggest thing, and that's the most exciting thing. Like I know we're gonna have conversations over the next couple of weeks. What's gonna happen with the home base players? What are they going to do? Like we've seen with the North last year where the home base players all went into be professionals for six months. Are the FAI gonna do something like that? Is Sport Ireland gonna give money towards that? Like it's a it's 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 interesting times. Like the National League probably won't see much of a kick up off it if I, until probably after until probably the World Cup rolls around. I don't I don't think it'll happen. It won't happen this season anyway. But like it's it's exciting times. There's so there's so many opportunities going to be available now. And I think if the next the next group of who are in the stadium who, who want to be inspired, you can't not be inspired by what happened last night. Well, I actually disagree with John. I think the Women's National League could get a huge boost. Look where we are. Uh, three games left to play and four teams in the title hunt. Some really big games, TV coverage. You've got personalities. Maybe not necessarily players. Onya Gorman, of course, played last night. But you've all other personalities from around the game. Karen Duggan, Stephanie Roach, both involved in the commentary and the analysis last night on TV. They're going to be at grounds. And I think to young girls coming in, I think it's a perfect opportunity for the FAI to go, do you know what, we're really going to push the last three weeks of this. They're, they already are, but to really double down on that and put some serious money behind promoting what is a phenomenal product. And let's I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question on that. Do you, think now, do you think last night's result now, they may reconsider the the idea of having the, the, the Premier Division final night the same day as the Cup final? No, I think the FAI too stuck in the ways to change that. That's not going to happen. Uh, but for me, the one thing I've known last night, when you look back through uh, all of those players uh, on, on the, the pitch last night and in the stand for Ireland, the vast majority of them have played in the Women's National League at some point, uh, even more so than the men. And we've, been, we've talked about the men's uh, League of Ireland connections over the years. There were seven or eight in the last European uh, Championship squad in 2016. Um but the Irish team last night of the 18 or 20 girls involved on the, the match day squad, I would imagine at least 14 or 15 of them have played in the Women's National League, which is huge. And this is, okay, it mightn't be the finished product like the WSL is, but it's definitely part of that pathway to a green jersey. And I think the FAI need to get behind that. Last night, one of the biggest weapons we had, though, we stick to the football for a little while, well before going on a rant about the politics of it, um, Megan Campbell's long throws. We've seen them since the... Uh, 2010 under 17 world cup and an european championship run she, we've known this about her for a long long time um as well as a, a ph phenomenal player she has this in her arsenal how much did that just throw havoc into the scottish defense at times me and them were chatting about it like massively you could see every time even when they got crossed into the box 
the Scottish defence are sort of at sixes and sevens at times, and I think that's that's something that that, that Ireland identified. You could see like the likes of O'Gorman making a, a burst into the back post if if Katie McKay was getting the ball, and but the long throw ins, like even even the player standing right in front of Megan, Megan didn't care. Megan was like, that's fine, I'll just throw it over your head, and like the the, the trajectory is something else, and that's the the biggest thing. Like she gets the pace and speed on him. I think it definitely caused so much so much havoc there, and like you look at you only have to look back at the likes of the Germany game in, in previous campaigns where Ireland scored late from a from a Steph Roach from a, from a throw in like that. They've had success over the past, and it could become a very important weapon in the next in the next eight nine months. Uh, I'm not gonna throw a doubt on on proceedings, but the one thing that irks me a little bit yesterday, and, and like. I'm, I haven't been a fan of Vera Powell. I think I think she's going to fall into the the Jack Charlton mode here of just being a hero across the country when we get to uh, eight or nine months time when we're lining out of the World Cup. Uh, she's going to go down to folklore, but I just haven't been a fan of, of maybe some of the things that she's done along the way and how she's handled certain situations. But last night in the immediate aftermath, she talked about how uh, it wasn't because we had the best players we won, but because we had the best game plan. Is that a little bit insulting to the girls on the field? Hello, Jeremy. I'll let you take I'll let you take this man and I'll give you the opinion. Aaron's avoid the controversy, I like it. Jeremy, <laughs> your thoughts. Uh I suppose it it is a little like uh, you know I I thought that the players uh, that that played last night showed courage and leadership when they when they needed to. The defense was solid, Gordon was solid in net and you know the midfield everyone everyone did what they had to do everyone knew exactly what they needed to do when um, heather got injured and came off amber knew right i need to come on and play up front i'm now the goals the the person that's going to need to get the goals um the lads know what they what they need to do as well so i thought everyone played well um you know you, you do have your game plan as well you do have your tactics and the master plan that works with it but i, I think it was just down to, to the way that they they showed what they could do last night and definitely you know we, we have a squad for, for the future and there's younger players that are, are waiting to to get a cut into this team as well and you know if they if they can play like like they like we know that they can play there's definitely a, f- a future for the sport in this country if we can get the right the right stuff going for it to be honest no no disrespect to the players who are injured but the only one really you could say is probably Megan Connolly is, is probably a nailed on starter. Lucy Little John, majority of the time, would probably would potentially start. But other than that, the likes of Jess Sue, Leanne Kiernan, they're not always guaranteed starters. So, like, there's players who've come in there, have done their job. And I think to, to make them comments, it's, it's not great. It's, you know, you think just praise your players and say they left everything on the pitch. They, they gave it their all. They worked so hard. They, they, they got the result because they fought so hard and they never gave up. But to say it was tactically more than that, we didn't have the better players is a is a bit of a bit of a kick in the teeth to some of the players. Some of the players, it's probably it's probably maybe you can say sometimes she says stuff where you're thinking is is because language stuff. But it's it's a strange it's a strange comment to make off the back of such a such an achievement. Yeah, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt in terms of the translation, but just it didn't sit right with me in the moment uh, in the game, in the aftermath of the game yesterday in Hamden. In terms of, I suppose, where we go to from here, obviously, uh, we have that period now. We don't have to go to New Zealand in March. We can 
uh, relax and kind of uh, plan and prepare. We don't have that uncertainty about whether we're going to be going or not going, regardless of whether we would have been the top seeds in that qualification process or not. There still was that element of lottery to it. Now we've got eight to nine months to plan. First of all, I suppose, any players coming up that we might see back in, in the equation? Will Ella Malloy be back in, in, in time for selection or will it be a little bit too soon for her? Uh, are there other youngsters coming through? Could we see an Emma Doherty break in with another maybe half a season in the Women's National League um, with Sligo ahead of her? Like, Are there players now under 19? Jesse Stapleton's another one who wasn't in the squad last night but has impressed previously and under 19 level. Are there players on the fringes that we could see breaking into this squad in the next nine months? Probably the biggest thing is you have to realise is she can only bring 23. She's had 27 here. She's had 27 of her games. Plus who's in, so it's, it's a case of if you're going to break in and you haven't been involved, you're going to have to do something that's electric for six months to, to, get, her, to get her attention. I think when you're talking about the likes of, the likes of Jesse Staples, it's like Jesse's, Jesse's been good for Shelburne. She went and captain the 19s instead. But like when you've only got such a short number of players you can bring i don't she won't bring four goalkeepers that's for sure she only go back to three um like it's it's a, it's a tough one and how do you how do you pick a fine balance do you, because we see a lot of our squads when when she names big squads they tend to be a lot of defenders a lot of midfielders maybe attacking line for this campaign for this game in particular was, was probably one of the weaker ones because of what was available so it's tough to see how she picks the, how she picks the squad there's definitely going to be players who've been in and around the squad right now who are going to be disappointed. There's no doubt about it. But like picking that final 23 is probably going to be one of the hardest things. Someone breaking in, they just have to. They'll have to be unbe- unbelievable and be brilliant to have any hope. I think. Is there anyone in the frame for that though? And as you said, Emma Doherty, Emily Corbett, they're sort of having to. to if they have this, this start the next season, but I think a lot of it will depend on injuries. Like Leanne Kieran, it should be back hopefully by. February. The talk. The question is, the likes of Jess Sue, will Jess get back to the World Cup? It's probably going to be a he touches all considering what she's got. Maybe Savannah McCarthy could be back in time. She played a, a pivotal part until she done her ACL, so she's somebody who could come back in. It's 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 hard to know at this stage. I think the friend. I'm sure they'll line up a couple of friendies next year. That's where we'll start to get a telling of, of watching what way she's going to do things. Will she go with a slightly smaller squad and them to give us an indication? The thing is, she's always had that core group of 16, 17, so you'd expect a lot of them to still be, be, be nailed on to go to the World Cup, and then there's just a couple of spots that are just up, up for grabs. Yeah, in terms of the World Cup, though, uh, of course, next summer, July and August, uh, I think, is the, the, the dates for June, July, anyway. Um, it's going to be hot. It's going to be... Oh, actually, it's going to be winter in Australia, so it's not going to be hot. It's going to be relatively cold. Um, but still, by Irish standards, warm enough, uh, even in an Australian winter. In terms of of that kind of effect of, of building a team and going into it, looking at the teams we're going to face, we've watched a lot of the qualification process, and we've been um, we've been the probably the underdogs going to a lot of games in qualification, and now we find ourselves in a situation where we're playing even better teams. You mentioned Brazil, you mentioned Australia, you've plenty of European sides in there as well. Uh, so you mentioned Brazil and, and America, I should say, uh, but Australia, New Zealand as well, they're all possible hosts uh, in, in number one seeds in the group. We probably will face someone of that calibre. Um, what are our realistic chances here? We've seen Irish teams go to these championships in the past and, and really not come away well out of it. Uh, 
can we get results? Can, can we get to the last 16? Can we get out of the group? See, you have to, but the thing is, there'll be some third place teams that will get out of groups. So it all depends. It all depends on the draw. If you get, if you get two stinker first and second seeds, it could come down to a goal difference against the, the fourth seed. That's if, if you get out, like if you get it, if you get a, a draw, that's that's a bit more favourable. There's a chance they could get to the last sixteen. Like it's t- it's tough to, to say where we think we can go because we haven't seen what what's what the draws is going to take place. But I think it's 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 one that we we probably analyze it a little bit more. I'd say it's fair to say once we do have the draw, we know if we're going to New Zealand, are we going to Australia? That's when you sort of be able to plan things a little bit better. And I assume, like even you, you will probably agree with with that. And it's it's hard to put to put somewhere to say we're going to get somewhere now at the moment, just at this stage. Yeah, German just having some connection issues there. He's obviously in Glasgow as well. He'll be back to us in just a couple of moments. I was going to ask Jermit uh, just before he he uh, dropped out there about um, in, in terms of of the expectations. Are there any particular favourites? Would you rather be in Australia, rather be in New Zealand? Uh, I suppose Aaron, if you want to take that. I just, I just want, I just want, I just want to go and hope my boss gives me the time off the call. That's all. I, I don't, I, I, I couldn't care where, where it's New Zealand, Australia, one way or another. Once I, once I can get there, that's all I care about is getting that, making that trip. I did have a sneaky little look at some of the pools, and uh, I kind of have my, my favourite draw already. I want to be A two. I want to be open in the tournament against New Zealand in Eden Park because it would be a nice little compact. Uh, a2 or C3 would be the dream draw, I think, in terms of where you'll end up because you'd be in New Zealand and you'd be with it fairly compact. Auckland to New Zealand, or Auckland to Hamilton, not a million miles apart for the three but, games. But that's where, the, that's where the playoff, where the playoff is in Auckland and Hamilton next next February, the Continental playoff. So, like, yeah, if you get, if you could get that, it'd be nice. In fact, the worst thing you don't want is it's it's the traveling. If you have to do a lot of traveling, hopping around places, it'd be a bit more. Bit more awkward yeah and, and despite the fantastic irish reception you'd get in perth and uh, the distance to anywhere else is absolutely horrific uh, i know all about it from a, a former life but it's it's going to be interesting a few months ahead prediction boys if you had to put uh, your house on it now jim i'll start with you since you just drop drop back in again um ireland next year where are we going to finish are we looking at a, a group stage elimination last 16 is a quarter final end of the question I, I think it's hard to call in terms of where we can do. I suppose if you look at it's it's their first time ever qualifying for a major tournament, so it'll be tough to predict where they could finish. Um, I, I think if they can make a good showing in the group stage, that'll be a positive result for them, something that they can take into a future campaign um, and everything like that. I mean, for what for what we seen last night, you know, Amber had said, you know, if, if Vera wants to wants to win the World Cup, she better put her on the plane going over to, to Australia or New Zealand. And, and um, you know, we, we do have the confidence, as you said, Ireland are probably the ultimate underdog in terms of when we do take on some of the bigger teams. We've seen uh, the performances that, that the women's team have put up against um, teams that are seeded higher than them. I know we're the, sorry, I think we're the lowest ranked seed coming out of, of the European qualifiers, but, you know, that won't that won't phase that won't phase Ireland and uh, and any, anything like that. I think we we live off being the underdog story, and you know if we can have, have some of those scenes that we had for for the men's World Cup 
a couple of years ago for when if Ireland win a couple of games in the group stage and go into the last 16 or even a quarter final that's that's more than what you would want and you know I just hope that we can get those performances to be honest Absolutely. Well, listen, Dermot, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a phenomenal uh, 24 hours for Irish women's football. Uh, of course, we've been, we've been bringing it up for years. It's great to see the rest of the country catching on to what we know is a fabulous product. I'm glad you both enjoyed uh, Glasgow. I'm never speaking to either of you again. I'm just jealous, but we'll get over that. Uh, Jets, thanks very much for joining us. Dermot, thank you. No worries. And that was uh, the lads there chatting to me earlier today about uh, all things World Cup qualification. Fantastic night for women's football uh, in the country and a really, really, really positive step forward. Massive step forward for the girls in green last night. So congratulations to Vera and the squad. Uh, I've managed to speak to one or two of them over the last few days and uh, they're absolutely walking on air. Uh, despite everything that's been in the news today, I think it still uh, remains to be seen how fantastic an achievement that was over the last 24 hours or so. Now, to other exciting news across the league uh, in the last week or so, um, six times FAI Women's Cup champions, Shamrock Rovers have in, uh, announced their intention to return to the Women's National League after a, a brief sojourn. Of course, they were there at the start of the league, played a couple of seasons, but we're expecting something all singing, all dancing, and of a very different nature entirely when they take to Tallis Stadium for the start of next year's um, competition, of course, license uh, dependent on that application over the next few months. But joining me now to have a chat about everything that that might entail is the newly appointed manager of that Women's National League side, Colly O'Neill. Colly, you're very, very welcome to the programme. Thanks for having me. How are you? Long time no speak. It has been too many years, Colly, since uh, we, we, we soldiered together in, in a former League of Ireland outpost called Dublin City. Um, you've been kind of busy since then, though. Uh, let's maybe kind of. before we get into the women's national league stuff, let's maybe introduce you to. to I, you're well known to all League of Ireland fans, of course, but to anybody who who maybe just ensconced in the women's game and, and that they're not as familiar with your CV as anything else. Probably uh, the time spent at UCD is probably the most high-profile period of your of your. A managerial career but, but you've been in a number of really good profile uh, jobs and, and, and delivered a lot of success to the teams you've been at yeah i suppose well dublin city was the first one that was 2005 was it it was um, earlier i think it was earlier it was in 2005 and we were um obviously four season we actually relegated shamrock Rovers in four season um a former player at ucd connor kieran still gives out to me about that one because he's a big rovers fan um, but yeah, I started off at Dublin City and then was it 2006, halfway through the year, that went belly up. Um, I then went to Dundalk and um, again got into a playoff with Dundalk, working with John Gill. And um, that was the year where we won the playoff but never got promoted um, down at Waterford um, because they went and reorganised the league due to uh, different financial and ground structures. And then 2007, I think it was, Dan McKeeley came back for me and I went to uh, Shelbourne as his assistant manager, um, where we had the fantastic job of trying to put a team together in 10 days. Um, 
which was interesting. Um, trying to come because they were relegated, obviously, for financial um, mismanagement the, the previous year. So um, signing people in, in cars and hotels and bars and um, trying to have a pre-season done as well, all in 10 days. So um, good memories. So I was there from 2007, 2008, nine. I think it was halfway through 2010, um, then I quit and I ended up being caretaker manager there for 10, I think it was, was it eight games I got? It was three months. I was there as a, as a caretaker manager and that was the end of my time in, in Shelbourne and then moved on to UCD. and was there for was it nine years up until 2019. Of course, um, since then you've been involved in Cabotelli and Bray and and, uh, and now a brand new venture for yourself with Shamrock Rovers. Having relegated them 16 years ago, now you're back to try and raise yeah. uh, women's football from the ashes in Tallah Stadium. Um, has anyone given you a stick about that since you, since you got the job? No, no. I don't think many people know about that. It's a, they do now. The past life, not many people know about it. Yeah. In, in terms of, I suppose, uh, from this point of view, we're here about women's football on the show. Yeah. And I suppose, first of all, congratulations on the appointment. Thank it's you. great to see you back in football uh, in, a, in a managerial position as opposed to a support role uh, that you've been coaching in other clubs since leaving UCD. But, but also, it's great to see Shamrock Rovers back. Uh, the gravitas that the name brings to every competition they enter is huge. And I think uh, from the rumour mill, at least, uh, things seem to be very, very different from maybe the first time around. And, and Rovers seem to be really coming to the table um, fully organised. Obviously, the, the recruitment of Jason Carey, now your appointment, really spells out that Rovers mean business when they come to the table this time around. And you do, I suppose. When I, when I met um, Shane, um, um, it's a good couple of weeks back now, um, it was more when we got into the expectations for the year and when you're taking a job with Chamber Grove, the expectations speak for themselves. It's you must win the league. And that's once I knew that that was the expectation, then I, I knew then it was the serious about it. It's not a box ticking exercise. Um, all conversations, everything has been very professional, done better than any club I've really been at. So I really know that it's the really mean business this time around. In terms of, I suppose, what that's going to look like on the ground, on the pitch, uh, in the dugout with you, do you have a team assembled yet or is that still a, a work in progress? Still a work in progress, I suppose, when you're trying to put a brand new team together and um, most of the uh, top players around the league are already uh, playing with existing teams. So you can't say too much about what potential targets are, but... Um, um, some conversations are probably ongoing, but it's a it's a work in progress. And would it be fair to say that that is a, an intention of Rovers to come in and recruit from within the league rather than, uh, I know previously they, they kind of took a, what was a very young, uh, promising group of players, but probably too inexperienced for the league back in the early days. Um, have you come in with that attitude of, we're actually going to look around the league and try and recruit a, a girl here and a, another girl there? I think it's going to be a mixture of both. There's some very, very good players there. You have Abby Tuchel, you have uh, Jamie Thompson, you have Maria Reynolds. So there's some really, really good players there already. So there's a it'll probably be a mixture of both. Yeah. And um, what's the the commitment like? Obviously, Tala, the stadium is fabulous. The new uh, North Stand is coming on on 
on stream as well, hopefully in the next maybe 12 months or so. I'm not quite sure the timeline on that, but um, it's a very attractive proposition to play for Shamrock Rovers, arguably the, the most storied club in the country, um, and to come in and, and play for in that stadium for a coach with, with the track record and pedigree that you bring to the, the position. Um, have you found the early uh, discussions you've had with players potentially to be positive? Or has it been a challenge to maybe get to sit down with these girls and talk to them? No, it's it, it, a lot of it has been has been positive, and um, I suppose it is the name Shamrock Rovers, but it, it's it's more than just a name. It is a proper run club, and it's one of the, you know, it it is people who say you know, and it it goes with the title of it. It is the biggest club in the country, but it's classified as as the biggest and the best club club in the country for a reason. It's how do you do that business is is the main reason behind it. Even when I was with UCD and um, we had Liam Scales, Gary O'Neill, Faruga, whatever it was, um, the other clubs around the league would just make contact with them straight away, didn't care whether you're on the contract, not on the contract, would try to tap them up, try to get them to persuade them, go to other clubs around the league. Shamrock Rose was the only one that actually came in the front door and saw permission, is it okay if we go and talk to so-and-so? They do their business right. Very professional in how they act both on the field and off the field. And it's, um, I think when, when you do your business like that, um, I think it, it's a big attraction for both staff and players around, around Ireland. Yeah. In terms of, I suppose, your own experience of the women's game, obviously you, you're high, hugely experienced in the in the men's game over the last 20 years or so, but but in terms of uh, your knowledge of the women's game, in terms of, obviously, you mentioned some of the youngsters in, in um, Shamrock Rovers who have, I suppose, been in Ireland squads and been impressive with their under-19s, and, and you're obviously doing your research within the club, but in terms of the, the wider league, how familiar are you with it? Have you taken in a few games? Because... I'll be honest, I, I, I heard your name mentioned, uh, it was a lot earlier than last week in terms of this role, so it's been in the offing for a while, I'm led to believe. Um, have you been at games? Who has impressed you? Can you even tell us that kind of information? No, I'm not going to tell you that information because if I tell you who's impressed me, it means they're on my list. Um, <laughs> no, I think after I obviously met Jason and I met Shane a, a good while back, what I said was I wanted to go off and do my do my homework and take in as many games as I have um, just to get an understanding all about the league, all about the players, who's good, who's not so good, different styles of play, patterns, how it all worked out. And yeah, I've done nothing but a lot of homework over the last couple of months. Um, and that has set out now, it has set out my targets. It has given me a good clear picture in my head of what is achievable and how it is achieved or how I can achieve it. Um, so yeah, I, I learn. I'm much more knowledgeable now, let's just say, than um, about three months ago. Will, so that's how long it's been in the office. Thanks for confirming that. Uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, the, the, the facilities and everything, that's obviously Tallis Stadium is, is where the girls have played, but will they be yeah. in Rogestone? Will they yes. be part of the yes. wider Tallis family? Yeah, er everything is going to be equal, equal to the men. It's going to be set up the exact same would be roadstone would be no differentiation between the men and the women and be playing in Tala. Uh, everything would be it's again it's, it's shamrock rose it's it's the standards it's if it's a standard for the men it's a standard for the women why should it be any other way 
I presume that applies to wages as well, does it? <laughs> well, I suppose as it's to start off in it, um, the, the um, I'll, I'll leave that to Jason to come out. And say. <laughs> but in terms of, I yeah. suppose, the, the resources, um, the rumor mill is is huge, and everything from being completely amateur to maybe uh, looking after girls well in terms of their expenses and their and their costs and stuff like that to play for Shamrock Rovers. The rumor mill is in hyperdrive. Um, and like we hear these stories, whatever club is, is coming in or is, is new or is doing well, we, we hear these stories coming out of clubs. Mm. How, what can you tell us about the kind of resources that are at your disposal to attract players to the club? Um, I probably can't say too much because it's probably not my place to actually go talk about that. Um, I suppose my main thing is to try and attract a lot of the players and um, try give them a little bit of a picture of which way I want to want to play, what the what the project entails, and what we hope to uh, achieve. Um, but as on the, the financial end of it, I can I leave that to other people. I always try and stay out of the financial end of things. I did have to ask. Um, <laughs> did you did you watch the game last night? Um, I didn't. Did. What's your thoughts? It's just fantastic. It's more, you know, I'm um, I'm delighted for the the girls that are, are obviously currently there. But I'm also delighted for the ones that have set the stage up a couple of years ago when they went and said, no, stop, enough is enough, we need better. And it's it's them that have set up this this stage for these girls now to go and, and, and be successful. It's brilliant. It's, it's raised the platform for, for everything that's the way it should be. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. In terms of the impact that Shamrock Rovers coming into the league is going to have, obviously, um, geography comes into play as well. You're you're not a million miles from Piedmont. You're maybe a little bit further from DLR. Um, what's the impact of putting another uh, National League side into that small geographic region? Will it dilute the pool a little bit uh, for maybe youngsters coming up in terms of options, or is it just a case of maybe widening the net that we can get more girls into a sport that's really going to blow up in the next 12 months? Yeah, well, I suppose one of the bigger advantages that that, that Shamrock Rowers will have is obviously it's um, they've embedded so well into the to the Tala community, and probably in that area there isn't really that much there at, at the moment, so it gives an extra focal point now for all the, the 17s and the 19s that there is a senior team there now that you can go play out hollow where the national team is being playing out of and it's something to aspire to so it's um i suppose when the the men originally moved out, out there many years ago um there was the try and embed into the community and it's now that it's done on the men it's time for it to be equaled out onto the onto the women's side as well Absolutely. One one thing we've spoken about a good bit on the show this year and last is is the drain of talent to other leagues, whether it's to the continent or more recently to the WSL and WSL2 in, in England. Um, will Shamrock Rovers be at a level that it might attract maybe maybe girls to come back, but more realistically, girls to stay here and to, to build something for themselves? Is, is that something that might be an option for girls who are maybe... Well, 50, I hope so. I, I do think there's a lot of it. Well, one thing that probably needs to be sorted out is um, obviously the contracts that the, the girls are put on here. Um, it is time for proper contracts, maybe. Um, better conditions for the for the girls here. But also, um, I think when people start moving and going away to England, it, it, there is the, um, probably the, you know, the classification that goes with it, that you, you're being a full-time footballer and you're, 
abroad in England and it's, it's what they aspire to. But I, I, I don't think the wages of what they're being paid when they go away matches what you really, really should be on. So I think it's time that the league here raised a standard in both the money that they offer and the contracts that they offer. And I think if that's um, if that's the direction that the um, the league goes, I do think that you probably have more and more people people staying here. Yeah, I think you're right because we hear the numbers on the men's side of the game where lads sign for championship teams, league one teams, they're on uh, multiple thousand euro, uh, pounds a week. That's not the case with the girls. They'd be lucky if they're getting maybe two thousand quid a month. If they're really lucky, some of them not even in that in that ballpark. It's and they're 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 living in digs or they're living in in really tight constraints just to survive as a professional footballer. So um, I think it would be great to see the clubs. But I can hear already in my text messages later on uh, the likes of Galway who were on the radio just a couple of weeks back saying they can't afford to run the current setup. Like, is the money there? What do you see? I know, I know this isn't your maybe area of expertise in, in terms of uh, of what can be done, but you've been around the game for so long. Is there a way to generate that kind of interest, that money uh, from within the league? As someone who's just come into it recently in the last few months uh, from outside the, the women's game, can you see that momentum building? Can you see that growth? I can now. I suppose what was achieved last night is going to, you know, light that torch to keep going forward with that. I think there'll be an awful lot more investment coming and there'll be more sponsorship deals and there'll be more uh, focus put onto the women's game here, particularly now for the next 12 months. So now you have the stage that hopefully the FEI can go and back it and say, we have a platform here. Let's go now and sell it, deliver on it, grow it, or have an actual full framework of what what's achievable for next year, the year after, the year after, and keep on growing it until you actually get into a full-time model here. Yeah, absolutely. On a personal note, Colleen, as I said, it's great to see you back in football. How difficult of a decision was it when, um, because a lot of people kind of, they see the men's and games and women's game as, as separate entities and never the two, two shall meet. And you've been so ensconced in the men's game for so long. How difficult was that decision when you were approached or when that initial com contact happened? I, 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 I did think about it because the, the reason I had to think about it for a while was because I, I did have two other uh, offers to get back in, into the men's. And believe it or not, um, I think um, <laughs> my wife made sure that was Shamrock Rovers was the one that I, I should go for. And then I had a conversation with Dermot Keeley. And I explained the, the three offers that I had. And Dermot more or less said, if you don't pick Shamrock Rovers, I'm going to fly back there and I'm going to kick the living crap out of you. So it kind of put a home and I and I, I was thinking damn it we'll go women's football what are you doing um because of of how he is his personality but um it was more he he said it, it's the only club in the whole country really that is run properly it's a real proper club and any opportunity whether it's a, a chance to get in to manage the U9 from Shamrock Rovers or is the women's senior team he said it's a fantastic opportunity. Grab it with both hands and go with it. So Dermot Keeley still calling the shots 15, 20 yep. years later. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny the influence the man has. Um, well, Colleen, listen, thank you so much for joining us. Great to catch up with you. As we said, it's been almost, almost two decades, which is kind of hard to believe yeah. as well. Uh, but the very, very best of luck to you next year in 
in Tallis Stadium. Hopefully the license, I can't see any reason, as you mentioned, Rovers well okay. run. Uh, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't be given a license. Um, and it's going to be interesting times ahead for, for not just for Shamrock Rovers fans, but I think for the whole league in terms of getting uh, to play in Tallis Stadium. You, normally you have to qualify for the cup final to do that in the Women's League. Yeah. Now they're going to get to play there once or twice next year by rights, just by virtue of the fact that Rovers are in the league. So it's all very, very exciting for everybody associated with the women's game and a very, very welcome piece of news over the last uh, few weeks. So, Colleague, thanks so much for joining us. It's been an thanks absolute pleasure. Chat. All right. Take care. Collie O'Neill there. Um, really, really exciting times for Shamrock Rovers, and I, I can't wait to see how they they, they cope uh, coming into the league next year. I think it, uh, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a different landscape in the Women's National League next year for a lot of reasons. Uh, Shamrock Rovers' arrival, uh, probably one of the main reasons behind that as well. Anyway, uh, let's get on with the rest of the show. Myself and Aaron also earlier caught up with uh, last week's uh, the fixtures and the results in the Women's National League. Here's what we ch chatted about earlier on in the show. Colin O'Neill there. Um, exciting times for everybody at Shamrock Rovers. I think for the league in general, uh, plenty of uh, food for thought over the next few months as, as we prepare for what promises to be a very exciting 2023 for women's football in Ireland. Uh, one of the big pieces of news that caught my attention, Aaron, over the last uh, couple of days was from Cork and uh, big news there in, in the shape of securing a deal with the Munster FA that Turner's Cross is going to be the home for not just Cork City in the League of Ireland but Cork City in the Women's National League as well for the next two decades um, that's a big big statement of intent from Cork in terms of uh, their plans for women's football within the club yeah absolutely like we spoke to I, we spoke to Danny and I spoke to Danny after the Shells game last week and even talking when I turned the camera off, you could see he was even talking about the whole divides in Cork and stuff like that and how he's trying to bridge that gap with the things like the players wearing their their previous club's jersey and stuff like that for the warm-ups and inviting them all there. So they're trying to bridge a lot of, build a lot of bridges. They're trying to get the, the, their ducks in order because realistically, the biggest thing for a national league is we need a strong Cork. It's such a massive, massive region. If you like the players that group another, you just look at the Ireland squad for the last, for the last couple of couple of years like you've had the likes of Claire Shine, Denise O'Sullivan, Megan Connolly, Amanda Budden was in there at one stage. There's been plenty of players from Cork who've been there. So it's just a case of we need to continue to see more of that but it's great news. Absolutely. But of course we've talked about the women's national league uh, women's national team should I say uh, at length on today's show but there is a small matter of the run into the women's national league title. We seem to have nearly forgotten about that. Uh, but of course for the next three or four weeks that is going to be all that anyone can chat about within the women's game in the country um four teams in the chase let's bring up the league table there have a quick look wexford shells Piedmont, and athlone all in the chase for league title i made a bold prediction on last week's show that if athlone could beat wexford they were my favorites for the title i i think i'm gonna kind of stick to that uh, it's a big big ask but i think with the running that they've got and if the other teams get points off each other, I think we could be looking at it, the most amazing run, almost up there with Leicester winning the Premier League uh, not that long ago. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? If the truck has passed you at this point? You can see how much this is on the fly this morning, folks. Unfortunately, you just kind of get stuff done because we're late plays. I'll be like, yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's, I don't think it's a bold prediction, as you say, because the three winnable, the three winnable games and... I suspect that the others will drop points somewhere. Like you look at 
next, not this week, next week you've got Shells, you've got Piedmont Wexford, <laughs> and then you've got Shells Wexford on the last day of the season. So there's no doubt that at Lone, if they if they can win the three games, they they could be well and truly in it. You'd have to be concerned from a Shelburne point of view this weekend that they they've got DLR waves there because if they're not on if they're not on song this week they could drop points and then if they drop any points this week or next week then we will see teams coming out of out of the title race and I think that's the, the biggest thing is that nobody can afford to, to drop any points at the moment. The exciting run-ins as, as you mentioned those two games for Wexford against both Pease and Shells uh, and you, teams have to drop points both teams can't win those games so. Uh, they're probably the, the games that matter the most, at least looking in from, from the outside. But it could be like that you mentioned. Uh, it was Galway who upset the apple cart last year. They had the biggest influence in the in the final days. DLR also. Could we see DLR upset sh- shells at the weekend? It's in an, it, now it is out of context. They're playing at home farm because of unavailability of the, the bowl. Of course, it's back into the AIL rugby season and that's affected um, getting access to the bowl at the moment. Is that going to upset DLR more than it's going to upset Shells? It's on Shells, Shells back backyard. Like, uh, it's like DLR started doing a bit of searching for this venue. I think the, the main criteria they were trying to secure is something that the game can be actually streamed to LOI TV. So we're home from streaming a lot of England. I think that's why they went there. I know they tried a couple of other venues and were unsuccessful, but from a DLR point of view, I don't think it makes a massive difference. Yeah, you'd like to be playing. You'd like to be playing in the ball. They've beaten Shelburne once this season already when, when Katie Malone lobbed them on the button. And then you look at the response to Shelves having they played in Talker Park a couple of weeks later, or Abby Larkin come on at half time and they absolutely blitz them. So they are capable of the LR waves of getting something out of the game, but they just need to be completely on song. If, if they are even 5% off what they, what, they, what they can be, they won't get anything out of the game. Whereas Shelburne can afford to play, probably play a, a little bit down and, and still grind out a result. But Shelves been ropey recent weeks and I think the the wins against Bo, the win, the wins against Bowers and Cork probably helped them. But I can still see them dropping points somewhere. It's just a matter of where will they drop them. And if they, if it's this weekend's title hopes will be all will, will be over. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I think it's it's too tight too tight of a game to call this weekend. The other three teams in the hunt play the bottom three sides in the league. Uh, Sligo there faced a long journey out of Wexford. They've beaten them once this year as well. Can Lightning strike twice? Uh, and Cork, uh, they host or they they um, play Piedmont United down in Turner's Cross. You can't really say anything but a, a Piedmont win in that. Although Cork have been getting more competitive in recent weeks. Yeah, they have been getting more competitive. But I think Piedmont have been on Piedmont have been on great form as well. And I think that the, the, the bit has dropped in between the teeth of Piedmont lately, and you can see that. I think some of the, the team talks you're looking James and Fallon early in the season, he was frustrated that they weren't doing things. Where now they're doing them sort of things in a small world. And I think for them, it's a case of they'll, they'll pick up the three points. I think Cork will make it difficult. They may win probably 2 0, but it won't be it won't be set for a smooth side of the team, but they will get the result. And I think from a slugger point of view, going to Wexford, although the game is on TG Carr, I still think that Wexford, Wexford will come away, Wexford will come away, Victorson. They'll set themselves up nicely for, for, for the weekend, the weeks ahead. Of course, uh, old stopping ground for Sligo captain Emma Ansbury as well. So I don't know whether she'll play at the weekend. She has been in and out of the side through injury all year. So, uh, But uh, she knows the place fairly well down there. So maybe that might be an asset to them. Final game then really in terms of, well, we, we touched on that loan treaty, but I think given form, 
again we probably have to go with loan on that one but uh the final game of the of, of the weekend then sees Gorge take the journey to daily mount uh mid-table game much more than pride at stake here is the league place at stake as well because if Galway loses then Bowles are close right I think Bowles are, I think they'll go level with them and they go a point behind so there's league places still at stake and I think from speaking to Julian last week I think they realised they have a bit of a point to prove in Galway after this the slump and just there's a lot of impressive they want to impress people for what's to come next season and it is yeah it's a bit of a mid, uh, mid-table game but I think both sides will want to win it and It'll be it'll probably end up in ill on us now. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, that is it for us this week. We've run out of time. Thank you so much to Jim Kearney, uh, who joined us to talk about himself and Aaron's little nice date in Hamden Park last night, uh, and to Collie O'Neill of Shamrock Rovers, an exciting new addition, both in a personal context, but also in the club context for the next season of the Women's National League. We're already looking forward to 2023, a World Cup and Rovers in the league. It's going to be exciting. What will the league look like? We don't quite know yet. Who will be the defending champions? That is really the big question we want answered over the next three weeks. Uh, plenty of road to go before we find out who that is, Aaron. Aaron, safe home from uh, Glasgow. Hope you get home all right. And we will be chatting to you again next week. Thank you.